Exhilaration be the love Before pride and exaltation be the love Be the love You are listening to Be the Love to awaken our souls. We are souls on the journey and our mission is to awaken all humans to a higher state of consciousness and live vibrantly as spiritual beings. We are here to open up the conversation to heal, awaken, and connect ourselves and the planet to a higher vibration of love frequency. I am Stacey Musial. And I am Brenda Carey. And we are your co-hosts at Be The Love Podcast. Thank you for tuning in and ascending with us. It starts with you. Everything you need is within you. This is your time. This is Adrienne Elise of the Supernova Soul Tribe. This is Nicholas David Mann. Namaste. My name is Nistella Joy Davy. This is Ron Interpreter, and you're listening to Be the Love Podcast. Hello and welcome to another episode of Be the Love to Awaken Our Souls. Thank you again so much for tuning in this week. I'm Stacey Musial. And I am Brenda Carey with our special guest, Matt Cooksey. We are your co-hosts and souls on the journey, and we are on a mission to raise the consciousness of humans and the planet, and we need your help. Please spread the word to your family and friends and join us every week. Consider becoming a Patreon supporter or a sponsor to help with the operating costs like editing and the many hours we spend creating these shows with quality guests and content. And if you have resonated with our mission, support us in a way that raises your vibration to love. And if it feels safe for you, I'd like to invite you to take a moment to get centered with us. I'd like to begin by inviting you to take a beautiful cleansing breath in through your nose and out through your mouth, releasing anything that is keeping you from being present. Take another deep breath in through your nose, breathing in calm, peaceful, loving energy, and breathing out anything you are ready to release in this now moment. And take one more breath in through your nose, breathing in light and love for yourself. And imagine breathing that light and love and send it back to all of humanity, remembering that you always, always have your breath to come back to. Our guest today is Matt Cooksey. Matt is a psychotherapist on a mission to make a Google map of your psyche. I love that. An early midlife crisis at 30 left him exploring uncharted parts of himself in search of the inner gold he sensed within. For eight years, he journeyed through a conflicted, tumultuous psyche before unearthing the infinite internal source of love, wisdom and creativity he was searching for. But it was daunting and disoriented, which inspired him to create a unique way for a person to map their own psyche. So thousands more people can confidently and efficiently navigate their way to the inner gold they need to lead inspired and authentic lives. Thank you so much for being here with us today, Matt. Goodness me. I am so delighted to be with you both and just so curious about what's going to unfold in our conversation. So it's just wonderful to be here. And um, for everybody listening, um, 
I just want you to know that I so appreciate you being here. Um, so I look forward to it. Thank mm. you. We are so grateful to have this beautiful conversation and you're right, however it unfolds. Uh, I am curious though, what has led you down this journey and on your spiritual path? Gosh, I think like a lot of people, the simple answer to that question is pain and mm. suffering. Mm. Um, I really, it all began for me, as I said in, in the bio, around 30. You know, if you're going to have a midlife crisis, you might as well do it early. And I <laughs> apparently got it out of the way early. And um, I really uh, had achieved a lot of the things that we're all raised to believe are going to make us happy. You know, the usual laundry list of houses and cars and holidays and uh, all of that stuff. And I was miserable. And I, I had this hilarious moment on my 30th birthday where I was running on a treadmill, doing what I was very good at doing, like bypassing all of my difficult, painful emotions by pounding on this treadmill. And I actually fell off the treadmill mm. and I fell off it. And I was just at the lowest point. And funnily enough, now when I look back, it occurs to me that a treadmill is a road to nowhere. And that actually escaped <laughs> me at the time, but I laugh about it now, as you can, like 13 years on. Um, and I, I went to the jacuzzi that this gym had downstairs and I sat there in this jacuzzi, the most depressed I think I'd ever been, lost, confused, frightened. And it was like a parting of all of these clouds where probably for the first time in my life, I consciously heard the voice of what we could say is my higher self or um, the universe or God, whatever your word is for that. But I consciously heard myself and it said to me, it's, and it's funny that language, it said to me, which really shows you and speaks to the the great chasm I experienced at that time in my life between who I thought I was and who I actually turned out to be. And it just said to me, you don't have to do any of this. And it sounds so kind of like basic now when I say it, but at the time it was like earth shattering. It was mm -hmm. earth shattering. And I literally uh, quit my high paying corporate job a week later and went and lived in uh, Argentina uh, for a while and traveled for a year, absolutely, with this really interesting um, determination that came, I think, from that meeting, that momentary meeting of myself that suddenly, suddenly brought or shifted the energy from going into all of this this achieving and people pleasing that I was up to prior to that and shifted it into the internal journey. And, um, and I was from that point forward, you know, and that's like 13 years ago, um, I was voracious in this search and I was, you know, 
people around me were like, oh my God, you, you know, people could see I meant business, you know, like, <laughs> which was in itself a bit of a problem at times, but that's a whole other story. And I hope that gives you a bit of a sense of, you know, just how this began for me. Mm. Wow. Thank you so much for sharing a little bit about your journey. It sounds like a powerful shift and awakening for you. And so, so tell us a little bit more about what that, you know, going from this external people pleasing, you know, the material world and recognizing that those things weren't important anymore to shifting to the, the internal world. And what was that like for you? And, and were there any, any certain processes you used or yeah, tell us a little bit more about that piece. It's, it's really interesting because um, in many ways, this links with the notion of helping people to develop uh, what I call like a Google map for the psyche. Because what I found was that I initially kind of went into just that first uncharted layer of self-inquiry. You know, what are my values? What are my pa passions? What are my talents? What do I really want to do? But it was still very much framed around this separate, um, vulnerable, mat identity. But there was just this beginning of a, of a um, traveling beyond what I had known of myself and then a sort mm -hmm. of expansion. And, and what I found is that that was really just the, that was like the, the entree, you know, and actually it, it was so fu funny because about, uh, gosh, maybe three or four years later, I'd really kind of transformed my life. I had, I had gone back to university, studied to become a therapist. Um, I had moved from London where I was living to the other side of the world, to Australia. Uh, and I just about changed every facet of my life on the mm. basis of this intuition, you don't have to do anything sounds like a powerful ego death well it was except for the fact that i sat there outside my private therapy practice with my dream life in place now mm. and felt very much the same and mm. i was like oh no i have changed just about everything out there mm. and i'm still feeling this that there's something missing, that there's something not right, that I'm not enough, that that I've got to always keep striving and pushing and and the same essential kind of perfume of me, I'm still wearing it. And it was like, oh no. And that was really then when things really, really mm. started to uh, crank up and it became so much more transformative as I began to really question the very sense of what I actually am. What am I? Who am I? And the reason now that I, I love to help people develop these maps of their psyche is that I found as my own self-inquiry became more and more, um, uh, deep and 
into the really, really uncharted parts of the psyche, it became very disorientating at times, very lonely. I had this strong intuition that that there was this this well of gold. And, and that's why I love the work that you both do, because you're really evoking and speaking to that which is in all of us. And that's really what I sensed too, that intuitively felt that there is more to me, there is more to life, and I've got to find it. But goodness me, as I entered into a world of who am I, what am I, outside of all my identities, goodness me, that became a really confusing, disorientating place, very transformative. And what I found was that actually having a map really emboldened me to go to places I probably wouldn't have gone otherwise, because I felt more confident that uh, if I got lost, you know, as you both know, the, the process of awakening has so many cul-de-sacs and dead mm. ends and one-way streets. Mm. And it's like, it's like it, I was saying to a colleague earlier, you know, it's almost like in, in the quote-unquote real world, at least if you go to a strange city, the, the roads and everything might be unfamiliar, but at least they stay the same. And you can, over time, get your bearings and, and so on. You go into the psyche... And one day you go down a road and you're like, whoa, this is cool. I'm going down this road and it's leading me to this insight and so forth. The next day you're like, okay, I'm going to go down that road again. And you go there and it's like, it's it's not even there anymore. It doesn't, <laughs> doesn't actually exist anymore. And you're like, oh my God. And so it can become so disorientating. And that's like, that's what I found. And when I ultimately found what I intuited is in all of us. And I know with all my heart to anyone who's listening to this, who doubts that, who wonders, it's like, it's, I hear this from these people, that this is in me, but is it really, I know with all my heart that that is in all of us. And yet mm. it is so easy to get lost on this journey and stuck and it can be feel frightening and lonely. And so I think that's what we three all share yes. in this this great love of wanting to support people through that, you know. I, I'm so glad you bring up that this journey isn't all, you know, rainbows and unicorns. I mean, I know we say a spiritual journey and, and there's always supposed to be, we think, the light at the end of the tunnel, you know, but sometimes the tunnel seems long and confusing and disorienting and mm. and then we start to think well am i am i doing this right i thought this was supposed to be the spiritual path and there is a lot of bypassing that can happen cuz we're thinking it's going to be the the pot of gold right away at the end and i and i think that's a really good point to bring up is that there are going to be those shadow shadow times to work through. And I love your analogy of a map. I actually, um, I, I guess I'm a little more old school. I, I've used the analogy, but it's a trail map, like actual paper. Um, <laughs> um, I, <laughs> that's, but a, for, that's a good but one I'm too. A hunter, and so I, I do look at our, you know, our depth journeys as a map. And for me, it's elevation and mountains and twists and turns. Um, but I love this idea of, of a Google map. And so I'm curious, when we are in these 
shadow dark tunnel times, like the one you experienced, you mentioned like shame and, and insecurity, like what does that process feel like, look like for someone who might be going through it or questioning, like, is, Mm. is this my map? Like where, where, where do I go when there doesn't seem to be the right, the quote unquote right road to follow? I, I love your question and, and, and really drawing out for people that this process of awakening can often be fierce. You know, uh, I love, I think it's uh, Ramdas coined the term fierce grace. You know, he had a stroke a few years before he died and he, he said he was uh, stroked by his guru and he described his stroke as a fierce grace uh, that just woke him up even more. And so I think people are not often prepared for or attuned to the idea that wisdom can actually arrive and very often does in the form of pain, setback, frustration, failure, all of these things. And if you don't know that, that, that or are not open to the possibility that what you see as a bad thing might actually be an intelligent form of life arising in you then i think that's the first that's the first point at which you could get really lost because you could be like well you know isn't this spiritual journey meant to be all um you know joy and love and peace and all that kind of stuff and that's just not been my experience in fact i just feel like i awakening for me has like there's this particular time i was just i was just telling Stacey and Brenda, before we started this conversation, that um, I'm speaking today from the the beautiful island of Bali. And I think to go to your question, Brenda, the the best example I can think of for somebody who might be kind of in that dark tunnel moment is um, actually took place five years ago whilst I was on the island of Bali. And to give you a little context, it's quite a funny story, actually. Um, my, uh, my husband now... Uh, he wasn't my husband then, had come home one day about five years ago and he looked pale and said to me, I I don't want to be with you anymore. And I had put this guy on a massive pedestal and um, it was the worst possible thing I could have heard. And the instant terror and all of my attachment, trauma, uh, abandonment stuff, like talk about like a, a a dark night moment. And I will never forget the intuition I had as he then left our, our apartment to just sit myself in our spare room on the couch. And it occurred to me, sit on this chair and do not move until you have felt every wretched, painful, agonizing feeling that you are feeling right now. You Mm. need to feel it. And I sat there and I don't know how long I was sitting there, but it was like I was being ripped apart as I was feeling these feelings that, you know, in the the book, um, The Untethered Soul by Michael Singer, he, Mm. he talks about this layer of pain that is so painful and so challenging that our whole personality revolves around avoiding it and never touching it. It felt like I was finally journeying through this agonizing pain of the worst 
possible thing I could have imagined at that time actually coming coming true. And however long I was sitting there, it was so shocking to me that I at some point popped out the other side into this totally improbable and to my mind like bizarre peace. Like it was like total acceptance about mm. about 16 hours after hearing the news, which is not to say that later on I didn't experience waves of grief and processing emotionally what what had happened. But um it was it was incredible. And and the funniest thing then happened. I had the this intuition just start like chiming in. And the intuition said, of all things, you need to go to a nudist beach. I'd never been to a nudist beach in my life. And I was like, well, everything's screwy right now in my life. So I might as well just see where this goes. <laughs> so I drove to this nudist beach. And for the guy who had spent his life hiding his body, uh, trying to be someone, putting his partner on a pedestal, all of this stuff, it really occurred to me that there was something quite profound about being naked. You know, I, I went to this beach, I drove like two hours to get to this beach I'd never been to before. I took all my clothes off. I ran into the water. And 24 hours after hearing this awful news, I felt this ecstatic joy. And thank God I was a therapist because if I hadn't have been, I would have thought I was going crazy. And so that's, <laughs> I think one of the things that can happen for people is they can be having an awakening experience like that, where there's these huge oscillations in in their emotional experience and they can start to feel a bit nutty a little bit like crazy and their behavior can seem to other people around them to be erratic like you're going to a nudist beach and people can start projecting on you and it can get really confusing because i was then driving back from this beach and i'm driving down the freeway and i had this impulse to go that i need to go to bali and i was like my mind was like you can't go to Bali. Like you've got all these reasons you need to not do that. And I was like, okay, well, if I really need to go to Bali, give me a sign universe. Mm. And the universe does not mess around with this stuff. Does it like <laughs> nope. I'm driving along and my eye goes to this big office building to my right and emblazoned across the office building was one word and it said ego, E-G-O. And it happened to be the name of this pharmaceuticals company. And I instantly knew that the message was the only reason you're not going to go to Bali and follow this intuition is because of your ego. So I get home and I load up flights to Bali and I'm hovering over the like book button. And I've got no reason to stay really in Australia at that point. Like there's no reason to not go. And I'm like, I'm so sorry, universe, for being a slow, a slow student here, but I need another sign like before I actually follow through on this. And I just glanced over to the, the desk and I, at the side of the desk, and I saw this hand cream sitting there. And I suddenly saw the logo on the hand cream. It was made by Ego, the pharmaceutical company I'd just <laughs> seen on the side of the road. And I instantly hit the book button. And two weeks later, I arrived in Bali. And um, a much longer story, but in many ways, being in Bali led me to rekindle my relationship with that very same person 
who said they didn't want to be with me. And he's now my husband. And we've been married for five years. We have three small children. And our love and our relationship is not perfect by any stretch, but we are, um, we're really where we need to be. And so mm. it's just a, I, I hope that kind of story gives some answer to your question, Brenda, of, of how it can look in the tunnel. Like it was very confusing, but mm -hmm. also so exciting, you know. I absolutely love that. Thank you so much for sharing that. I think it just really shows, you know, I mean, you were willing, you know, when he said he didn't want to be with you anymore, you were, you know, you were able to sit with all those emotions and it can be so easy to want to get up and distract and, you know, zone out on something else or go, you know, drink or whatever the case may be. Right. And I think, you know, that has been um, maybe some patterns, you know, but with people, you know, and especially in our culture where we're taught, you know, and those emotions are dark and scary. And so, but you were able to, it sounds like really step in and, and feel them and allow them and just move through the energy and then listen, listen to your inner guidance system on what was the next step in the, in the process. And it sounds like you really were able to shift your own energy rather than also, you know, blaming your partner and, and really, you know, putting it, putting it on him. Right. So what that was like. So you know, recognizing that you took the responsibility of how that, you know, showed up for you. Um, so I think, I think that's where maybe a lot of people can get stuck in that energy and, you know, wanting to shift focus. Right. And so I'm wondering if you, you know, how, are there any tools or anything that you could recommend or helping to support people mm. to, you know, really taking the courage to, sit through that that pain so that they can move through it and and um, experience the other side yeah i i think it's i think what you've just identified is so critical on this path to be able to work with intense emotion i think in in spirituality and i have totally engaged in this a lot we can be really prone to using you know, the awakenings that we have along the way as a way to avoid having to actually go to these difficult, dark, scary places that we actually, I find to be such a portal for us. And so I think to your, to your point about like, what practically can people, can people do to set themselves up to make it more likely they're going to be able to actually really go there and engage with their um, shadows and so forth. For me, there have been three primary tools, if we want to say that, or kind of methodologies that for me have really, uh, I've, I've kind of pulled together in this, in this notion of creating a map of the psyche. And one in particular that I'll, I'll, I'll really share that I think can make a huge and immediate difference for people is um really realizing that you know how we talk about um me or i or the myself and we we talk about it as if it's a unitary singular entity 
And what I find to be more true, not necessarily the truth, but more true, certainly, is that actually this psychological self, if I can call it that, this egoic self, is actually in the vast majority of people fragmented into a number of parts that act really quite independently and fight with one another for control in moments like that, especially, you know, just that experience I had of like the, there's a, so I, in my own map, I have a, a part of me on my map that is what I call my knowing part. And it's the seat of my intuition. In many ways, it's like my, the spiritual representative in my psychological self. And this part is the part that sort of had me know, go to Bali, you need to go to Bali. But then there's another part of me that I call my uh, achieving part that had just done a keynote speech at a conference in Australia that was like, you can't go to Bali you need to be in Australia to follow up on all these business opportunities that are coming out of this conference and all of that kind of stuff. And so a fight ensues because we're divided internally. And so I think our spiritual journey very often is constrained by the fact that only a part of us is committed and on the journey itself. There are other parts that actually think the spiritual journey is a terrible idea that actually you want me to surrender? No way, Jose. Like, I'm not into that. You want me to feel all these difficult emotions? I don't want to do that. You know, and so we we approach spirituality in a, in a fragmented way that reflects the fragmentation that is just there all along anyway. And so one of the most profound things that I notice when happens when people actually get to map out all of the different parts of themselves is that then they actually see on a single piece of paper what parts of them actually are totally acting in opposition mm -hmm. to awakening and they immediately seem to then be able to access let's say a higher self that can bring compassion and curiosity and interest in the parts that are not interested in the spiritual journey. And what I find is that when you can actually instigate a, a really um, open dialogue with parts of you that are very skeptical about spirituality or suspicious of it, or uh, just don't want to be <laughs> involved in it whatsoever, you can arrive at a place of greater integration you can arrive at a place of a more whole spiritual process where even if let's say you're struggling with surrender even if that's still very difficult for the part of you that likes to be in control of your life and everything that's going on now 
once there's this realization that I that myself is not this unitary thing. It's actually broken into these different parts. And we know this because we say like, part of me wanted to go to Bali and part of me thought it was a bad idea. Part of me wanted to go for dinner, but part of me wants to go on a diet. Like, you know, like this is happening all the time. We know it, it's quite intuitive. And when we can become aware of that, uh, I really think it can allow us to take a more integrated approach to our spirituality. Because then when you're struggling with surrender, you go, okay, what part of me is struggling with surrender? And you look at your map and you go, I'm pretty sure it's going to be the achieving part that likes to, you know, control and so on. And then I can call up a dialogue with that part of me and I can literally sit there and talk to it. I'm going to be like, hey, Mr. Achieving part, you know, in a kind of meditative kind of way. I'm, you know, I, I really, I really feel that this is, this is hard for you. You're being asked to surrender to this idea of going to Bali in my case, and you don't know where it's leading and why, and all of these things that, you know, your whole life and identity has been about. Um, how is this for you, sweetheart? Like, this is how I, my internal language, you know, how, how is that for you, sweetheart? Like, what is that? What is that like? I know that's hard, but tell me more about it. And I find that that part of me will then just come into my awareness and will say, yeah, it's scary. And like, we're going to end up like broken. We're not going to have any money. And we're going to be now just like separated and bank bankrupt and life's going to fall apart. And, and I can really start to hear without getting swept away. And I think that's one of the things that I can't remember whether it was you, Brenda or, or Stacy, but one of you mentioned, how do we, it's like, how do we lean into these emotional experiences without getting completely lost in them? And for me, having this, having this sort of visual representation of my psyche really helps with that because I can kind of really look at it, but not get lost in it. I love that example, especially with like surrender and making decisions, because I, I admit I do really like, it's like I bounce back and forth and then I end up with decision fatigue, you know, at, at the end of the day, because I'm contemplating all the different possibilities or this might happen or that might happen. Uh, so I like how you mentioned this, like this dialogue of this part of ourselves. And I think that's a really beautiful practice. I, I'm actually going to try that on when I'm, Ooh, you know, wrestling so with, with like, what, what kind of decision do I need to make here, whether it's personal or business related? I, I am curious, though, because and I'm reflecting to myself, there was a point in time, and, and I'm much, much better at this, where my internal dialogue or that conversation would have been pretty negative. And and kind of nasty. And I think a lot of people do struggle with negative self-talk and negative self-image. I'm not enough. You know, I'm, I'm not able to, you know, make this decision wisely. What would you say to that person who maybe can't quite get into that very loving conversation, very grace-filled conversation? What are the steps to, to get there if they're just not quite in that space yet? I, I am so glad that you asked that question um, because it really this is vital what you just pointed out um and there have been a number of steps that i had to take to be able to speak in that way um and it's actually quite simple but it's not easy um so the simple way that i guide people to approach a moment where they're really in some shame self criticism attack or spiral and 
they're really struggling to relate like it makes sense like that we struggle to relate to that kind of moment with compassion because we're we're caught in criticism that part of us can look like a monster it can look like a really vicious unkind really awful part of us and we just want to get rid of it right what's really fascinating is when you then take this idea of a self that is actually not unitary but it's in it's divided into parts you can then ask yourself which which is the part of me that really sees this critical part as a vicious monster and what i would encourage that person to do is not try to speak to the part that's spouting all of this bile and you're a terrible person and you know you're useless and rubbish and whatever it's saying to you because what needs to happen first is there is clearly there is that part and then there's another part because you're saying like i don't i don't i don't know how to be in relationship with that self-critical part in a way that is compassionate and what that tells me is that our higher self is not online in that moment there is another part eclipsing that higher self and so now what you have is these two psychological entities battling out in a drama triangle kind of perpetrator and victim kind of dynamic and so what i would encourage anyone to do in that situation would be you can literally say this to the self to the critical part you can say i totally want to come and hear you i hear that you have some very urgent and important things to say to me and i would like you to take a step back for a moment because there is another part of me right now that is very afraid of you that is very afraid and needs me to hold it first and then and then I will be able to come over here and I will be available to, to hear you, but I'm not going to be able to hear you whilst the part in here is really frightened. So would you be willing to just step back for a moment? And nine times out of 10, I find that, that because basically the bottom line is what you see in the end is that there are no bad parts, that even mm. these really vicious critical parts actually are so beautiful they are not monsters at all they are more like misunderstood geniuses that have been cast out so long they've kind of uh become um they they look like monsters but th but they're not and so nine times out of ten i find when i'm working with people that their self-critical part will actually say okay i get that i'll i'll step back and then we turn to whatever part is really frightened. And usually that's a very child-like part, an, an inner child part that has been, um, you know, in some very difficult situations early in life. And then we need to kind of be with that and say, hey, sweetheart, you know, and usually people can access that self-compassion towards that part of themselves. Mm -hmm. And then what you find is they've, they've made the switch they have to be in a subject-object relationship where the subject that they're being is their higher self in order to bring this compassion to their, let's say, inner child 
part. And once they can soothe their inner child part and say, hey, sweetheart, like you're hearing all this horrible criticism and I know that must be so hard for you. Tell me, how are you doing? And the, the little child will speak and you can hold it. And suddenly you're grounded again in your own deeper wisdom and from there, once this little part of you has kind of settled, it becomes much more possible to then turn back to this critical part in a totally different way of being that then has you really start to see this critical part in a very different light. And you see what I see in that part of me, because I have a very, very strong self-critical part. But over time, as I've really spent been able to engage in this way i've really seen that that actually it has such a strength to it that it has mm -hmm. such an authority to it and in many ways right now as i'm speaking to you in this conversation that part of me is actually doing what it does really well by allowing me to speak with confidence and a sense of um just someone who knows knows themselves and 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 is just in integrity and and so that part of me allows me to to have that way of being in the world and if I was just always pushing that away because I was frightened of what looked like a monster then I'm missing a part of me you know and that's the that's that's the reward that's the golden uh ticket to do this very scary thing I uh, I realize um so yeah. I hope that helps yeah, absolutely. Thank you for sharing that. I think it's, you know, such beautiful work when we can really begin to integrate, well, first connect and talk and, you know, recognize which part is active, right? And so, and then to integrate with love. Um, and it really helps that part, you know, whenever that part was formed in our psyches and our, you know, um, however old that part is and, and really bring that online. Um, you mentioned there's no bad parts and I, it just reminded me of the book, um, No Bad Parts by um, Richard Swartz, who did the, um, who created the the internal family systems, um, so, you know, and, and, and it's such a powerful, um, experience I use a little bit of that um some of that in my my own work as a psychotherapist and so it's um I've just seen the the shifts that clients can really have and in my own life you know as when I can you know recognize which part is you know active in that moment and you know I can really connect with that part and begin to nurture her and and what she might not have received um you know in as a little girl or um you know, and so, so it's such a powerful process. We can really get those all online and working together um, and they're not separate and they're, we can integrate oh. that. It's, it's so beautiful. I, I love how you just summarized that because it's, that's what it's all about. Integrating with love, integrating mm -hmm. with love, you know, mm -hmm. I, it's, that's such a beautiful way of, of putting it. And there's a, such a paradox to this I've found because I'm, I think if you look at your behavior and your thought process and everything under through the lens of a singular self, a singular entity, we all look mad as a box of frogs. Like we seem to be so crazy and schizophrenic. And one minute we're over here and, and, and we're left with this 
sense that we don't make sense. And yet when we start to see, oh my gosh, I've actually just got this inner crew of parts that have been disintegrated mm -hmm. and they're all sort of jostling, then all of a sudden our dysfunction actually starts to make sense. And when our dysfunction starts to make sense, I feel like that's a basis for really great healing work. And, you know, when I was reading your bio, Stacey, I was like, and hearing about the work that you do, I really, uh, I really had that sense of, of you being in that, that space and doing that work. And um, I can see from the smile on your face, just, you know, how, um, how much you love getting people into that space. So thank you for what you're, you're mm. doing, both of you, you know, it's just absolutely amazing work that you both do. Mm. Thank you, Matt. Thank you. Um, as we begin to wrap up this beautiful conversation, uh, I feel like it could go on for quite a long time, but I know our, <laughs> listeners, <too. laughs> our listeners are going to be really curious um, where they can find you and what yeah. you're currently working on. Cool. Um, so they can come to unmystical.com because I just want to demystify this psyche thing. Mm. You know, that's why I picked that that name unmystical.com and what I decided to do there is actually publish my own map because it could you know if you had to explain a google map to a an alien I'm um, in words you know <laughs> like they would probably have a hard time grasping it you need to kind of see what does a map of a psyche actually look like what does that entail um and so I decided it would be helpful to really make my own map public material um, with some commentary um, so people can kind of start to grasp what I actually mean by Google map of the psyche. And so that's one of the things that uh, people can immediately do if this, if this notion kind of sounds interesting and you're curious, come to unmystical.com and, and just download my map with the commentary and you'll kind of start, you'll, I'll give you a guided tour of my of my map and it'll kind of just start to kind of uh help you see the possibility of this and and the core kind of work that I do uh for people who are sort of what I the way I like to think of it is um one step is to draw the map the next step is that in a google map you have a gps signal and i liken the gps signal to our higher self and that's what locates you on the map. And so I run a 10-week program, which I call the Shadow Quest, which is really an um, expedition into the most challenging, difficult parts of our psyche. And a big part of what we do in that process is help people find a reliable GPS signal from their higher self so that now they have the map and they can locate themselves on it. And what I find is that when I lead people on those expeditions and equip them with that, when they leave that program, they are then forever more intrepid explorers who are able to journey to the farther reaches of themselves um, by themselves. And I find that to be probably the most uh, important thing about this is to set people up to skillfully journey themselves. So that's kind of mm -hmm. like the the core of what I mm -hmm. do. And those are intimate 
small group coaching mm. environments and um it's just a it's a privilege to do that work it really is mm. wow that sounds so beautiful and what a beautiful experience to really dive deep and really get to know yourself on such a mm. deep level um through all those layers and you know finding yourself where you are and and then yeah what and everything underneath that right <laughs> right yeah to really see when mm. i say i struggle with surrender like mm. to really be able to dive in and uncover yes. exactly why, mm. you know, right. <laughs> yeah, to no longer be a mystery, you know, mm. is like, it's so powerful. Yeah. To really, yeah. To really get to know oneself is such a beautiful gift to give yourself. Mm. And that's, yeah. yeah, I think that's a deep self-love right there. Mm. And so thank you so much for being here today with us, Matt. We've really appreciated you and everything you're doing in the world and just really loved having this conscious conversation with you. So thank you. You're both a, a great gift. Um, so, so thankful to have been with you too. Mm. And thank you for listening to Be The Love Podcast. If you've enjoyed listening to our show, please share the love by sharing it with your friends and family, giving us a five-star written review on iTunes or liking us on Facebook. Please consider supporting our mission to awaken our souls with a monthly donation that helps us with the operating costs of this podcast so we can continue to spread the love. To contribute, visit our Patreon website at patreon.com forward slash be the love podcast and stay tuned for more episodes being released on Mondays at 5.55 a.m. Mountain Time. Thank you, Heather Lynn, for providing us with your beautiful song to accompany our show, Be the Love. If you would like to learn more about Heather Lynn and her music, please visit her website at heatherlynnmusic.com. And thank you, Christy Grace at Leading Edge Productions for the beautiful design and graphic. And thank you for tuning in. And until next time, we are souls on the journey to align to our divine purpose and shine our lights. So keep on shining.